That's my son Dunica and my father Dick. What Dad didn't tell Dunica is that he's actually 81. Uh, what age are you now? Oh, I can't tell you. What do you think I am? That'll do. Ha, I'll do fine. He's a bit shaky on his legs, but there's nothing wrong with his head. Although, over the course of his life, it has been a troubled one. Troubled by the memory of a close friend who, almost 60 years ago, died right in front of his eyes in a military truck crash. A US Army buddy who he'd bonded closely with through their love of jazz. His name was Howard Branch. My name is Mary Elaine Tynan, and I'm Dick's daughter. Four years ago, my elderly father got himself into a fight. Not just any fight. It was a fight with the US Army. In the course of that fight, Dad was challenged to prove what had happened the day of the crash and in the many, many days since. He was given the task of finding Private Branch. So you may be asking how my dad has any earthly place getting into a scrape with the US military. Okay, let's go back to the very beginning. Dad was born in 1937 and raised around Camden Street in Dublin's inner city. He was destined to become a butcher in the family business, but he was a jazz obsessive and he had other ideas. At the age of 20, lured by the prospect of good work and great music, he upped sticks and moved to Beverly Hills, California, where two of his aunts lived. Although it was between the Korean and Vietnam Wars, the threat of communism across the globe preoccupied U.S. administrations. Here in Russia, you see the reason why we are spending billions of dollars in defense production. Why your family is paying the highest taxes in our history. But to fight a global war against communism, the U.S. military needed soldiers. Lots of them. A big winning team always needs two things. The right teamwork and the right break. Now the Army's a big team operation too, before you enlist. You can choose your travel, Europe or the Far East, for example. Knowing he'd be called up, Dad enlisted in the army. America was especially keen to protect her borders with Soviet-controlled Eastern Europe. One of those borders was Germany. And so, in 1959, Dad found himself in the Bavarian town of Augsburg on a gruelling training regime. But it wasn't all work and no play. There was an enlisted men's club on the compound. And that meant... Jazz. In the um, EM club, the enlisted men's club, there was pianos, there was drums, there was everything. And I played a little bit of drums before I left Dublin. I was in there playing drums, but there was this coloured piano player and he was very good, so it happened to be a set of drums nearby and I was playing and we were jamming away for maybe an hour or so. Um, one guy in particular was Howard Branch and he was, you know, digging the sands, as we say in Dublin. So Howard hung around afterwards and we're drinking coffee at the machines and he said, yeah, man, you're cool, I took that. Oh, yeah, you're jazz head. Jazz guys have a funny way of talking. Their lingo is totally different. Everything's cool and hip and all the rest. Anyway, and because he said his brother back home was a trumpet player. I said, oh, really? Yeah, Branch. Okay. 
So we became cool, and I said, you know, where I live, Dublin, we got a great jazz scene. We got some really, really top players. And I said, yeah, I can't wait to get back there. I'll be visiting in a few months. And he said, yeah, I'd love to visit that place. Yeah, wow, because I missed the jazz. I said, yeah, it was really cool. And then as we came nearer the time, he was in there in the EM club after we finished playing. I said, yeah, I'm going to Dublin in a couple of weeks. Oh, man, that'll be good. I'd love to go there. Yeah, I love Bradywood. I, I didn't say anything. Yeah, you'd, you'd love it. I said, but then specifically about a week later, he says, listen, I can get some leave the same time as you. How would you feel if I went there? Well, he caught me flat-footed. And immediately, I started thinking, how would people in Dublin react to Howard? He's black. Because I recall, before I went to America in the first place, seeing some guys abused physically, verbally. People from maybe the College of Surgeons in Stevens Green area go black to Africa, black fucker and stuff like this. I never forgot it because I was young at the time. But before I had a chance to even voice my concerns to him, he came out with this, ah, he's like all the white, other white motherfuckers or something like that, he said. What crossed my mind was the memory of, a, of black people being abused in Dublin. What did you do? Did nothing. I had a chance. He strode off then. He thought I was a racist. Like they have in America. So you, he stomped off. He went off then. We didn't have much dealing with each other then. I went over on holiday for two weeks to Dublin, came back. I'd see him around the place, but we didn't really mingle. This misunderstanding hurt both Dad and Howard, damaging their special friendship. Dad hoped they'd sort it out, assumed that they would. He never imagined that he'd reflect on that moment over and over again for decades but we wouldn't even be talking about this today if it weren't for the events of the 27th of April, 1959. April 59, we were sent out on manoeuvres to the Bavarian Mountains, a place called Mornau. It's a very hilly area, like Wicklow. The weather was bad, food was what they called them, K-Russians. So, um, we are loaded onto trucks and out of the blue, I see, I'm the last man into one truck, the last guy in, open air trucks, big two and a half trucks, big trucks, and sitting opposite each other on benches, and I was at the end, near the exit, and I see Howard appears, and uh, Sergeant Kelker, a squad leader, and he orders Howard into our truck. Our truck was really packed at the rim, you wouldn't get anyone in there. So Howard sees another truck approaching, and he says, oh, Sergeant Kelker, by uh, no room in this truck. I get into the next one. I don't know whether he had spotted me or not, but I certainly had spotted him. So the sergeant said, oh, get up there, it'll take ages for that other truck to arrive. So I hooshed up the guys and he jumped in beside me. No, he's actually opposite me, I was sitting opposite him. So was there enough room on the truck for him? Not really, but you know, you can make room if you have to make room, you know, by turning sideways or whatever. So. Ask this seemingly trivial question is that the simple act of making room for Private Howard Branch on a military truck that day became the defining moment of what was to live with my father for the rest of his life. He had made room for Howard Branch. We start descending this very steep hill, a dirt road, but a muddy dirt road, and each side is um, a barbed wire 
flimsy type barbed wire fence, I'd say. It wasn't really a full one with four or five strands to it. I think it was only one or two. But I just noticed them anyway. And um, the driver was driving fast, I noticed. Really fast, because we shouldn't have been driving that fast down a precarious thing like this road. And uh, I was bumping all around. And I'm at the end, you know, at the truck. So I just looked up there. I noticed the driver had his head in a funny angle. Rather than straight ahead, he was looking left or right or something. But before you know it, the truck is leaving. I noticed the truck leaving the road. And I said, damn it, we're going to crash to his bloody barbed wire. Instinctively, I jumped up. Just jumped up as the, as the front of the wheels of the vehicle entered through the fence. It took a split second, but I just jumped out, up. And before you know it, I'm up in the air and the vehicle is tumbling down the hill, steep hillside. And I landed down the ground finally, and I started rolling down also. So uh, you can imagine their equipment and stuff, and then the moaning. I looked over and then I saw, I thought it was Howard, it was Howard, he was on his back, his arms spread, blood pouring profusely, profusely from his ears, his nose, maybe his mouth, all over the thing. And he was like, um, obviously unconscious. I went over and I said, how are you okay? And I just sort of saw him. No response to where he was gone, he was out. And I said, Jesus, he's bleeding to death. I mean, the blood was too profuse. Just came out. And I looked around me and other people groaning, moaning and stuff. I didn't black out, but I was definitely in shock. Everything was a blur and there was a lot of personnel, a lot of activity taking us and moving us, stretches contaminants is whatever and um, back to the uh, Munich Army Hospital so I've had a visit from Sergeant Calcum, my squad leader I asked my question about the other casualties and I said uh, what about um, Howard uh, Branch my buddy and he looked at me for a while and uh, he said no he didn't make it oh Okay, and he says about charity, so my God, I feel kind of guilty. Sergeants don't normally talk, share things like that to private first class. They normally you know, are in a different class, higher class than you. But I guess he felt guilty. He said, yeah, I felt guilty. I feel a bit guilty. I ordered him onto the truck and he said he'd wait for the next one because the truck was filled. And I wonder if he hadn't been on that truck. So he left it at that. So I said nothing because I was kind of taken aback. And um, it resonated with myself because he was no sooner gone. I said, yeah, you're not the only guy that feels guilty. Because at that moment, I felt the same guilt that he's said. So the pair of us were in our, our guilt trip separately but together. after the crash, Dad was discharged from the US Army. He ended up in New York with his own band. He met a Belfast girl, my mother, and in 1965, they returned to Dublin to get married, a marriage which is now 53 years old. They took over my grandfather's business, a B&B on Dublin's Keys, 
and Dad ended up with his own furniture shop, which most Dubliners knew because of the most enormous photo of his face outside with the slogan, I can get it for you wholesale. Life for my parents was very busy. Just a year after they married, my brother Richard was born. And then a year and a week later, they welcomed twins, my sister Paula and my brother Stephen. So just two years into their marriage, my parents had three toddlers. I wouldn't arrive for another eight years. But in the meantime, something happened that would change life for my father and in fact, my whole family. It had been around seven years since the truck crash. But one day, a short time after he'd settled in Ireland, he was watching a football match on the TV and a very strange thing happened. It just came out of the blue. About half an hour into the game, I started to get these flu-like symptoms. I couldn't sit still. I was up and down, walking around. and I ended, I ended up not watching the match. Then when I went to bed that night, um, I was restless. I couldn't... I may have fallen asleep briefly, but I know I awakened a few times, a couple of times that night. And then the next day, like, there's no flu-like symptoms. It was okay. And everything was fine for maybe a few days, maybe a week even. And I came back again at another occasion. I started getting restless during the day. Or, and I couldn't sleep that night. Gradually, over about a month, the uh, distances between attacks like that shortened. And it was every day. At that stage, I said, oh, there's something wrong here. So Dad went to see his GP and was diagnosed with a very general type of depression. He was given some medication, which he took very briefly. Over time, the attacks decreased and eventually it seemed to resolve itself. But it never fully left him. Over the years that followed, Dad was plagued with sleeplessness, anxiety and a general sense of malaise. When I look back on it now, I realise he was always a little bit anxious and a worrier. But because he worked every day and got on with life, it was never really an issue. I just thought it was his personality. It took me a while to get to understand the subconscious and guilt correlation. Uh, because it's, I suppose I felt like it's not a good feeling to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Not a good feeling. So sometimes after that, when I'd see a war movie on telly or something or anything involving vehicles getting struck by enemy fire, for instance, because that's a similar thing, really, you just see. And I wouldn't feel too comfortable there, and I'd switch channels. So what was I doing subconsciously, but correlating the accident to my guilt and therefore avoidance? Or in Dublin on the street, if I saw a coloured guy that looked like Howard, when I go to prayer meetings or go to Mass, I pray for him. So obviously I must feel some guilt. From the 1960s, over the course of the next 40 years, my father lost both his parents and his brother. Then, in 2008, my brother Stephen died. Dad, like all of us, really struggled with the loss of my brother. And the death only added to the anxiety and occasional bouts of depression that Dad was already battling. Four years ago, while discussing his anxiety with his doctor, Dad happened to mention the US Army accident that had taken place in Germany all those years earlier. The doctor suggested that he might be suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Dad knew nothing about it, but he learned quickly enough, and he realised that it perfectly described his symptoms. Anxiety and depression, 
maybe panic attacks or anxiety attacks, having some types of social phobias, uh, and even feelings of uh, extreme guilt or shame over what's happened. Because the event that seemed to have caused it was a military one, Dad contacted the Veterans Association of the US Army. He explained the situation and they arranged for the Irish Embassy in Dublin to send him to see a psychiatrist. Well, the result was conclusive. According to the experts, he had indeed been suffering from PTSD for all these years as a direct result of the accident. They told him that there was treatment that could help him. But at 500 euro per session, for at least 20 sessions, it would be costly. So Dad applied to the US military through the Veterans Association for funds to pay for this treatment. And this is where the story gets interesting and actually quite baffling. Dad sent what we believed was all of the necessary documentation, including his diagnosis, by their psychiatrist. It seemed to open and shut. But then one day he got a letter and then a phone call from the Veterans Association and their tone seemed to have changed. Yes, we have your records from the psychiatrist that he diagnosed you as post-traumatic stress. I know you were in an accident, but there is no evidence of any casualties involved. Feel badly treated, that's not the word I'm looking for. Anyway, that's the situation. Well, what have they said about your friend, Howard? They rang me once or twice and say, have you any idea where Howard Branch lived pre-military? Before he went into the service? No, I don't, but you have everything on record. You sent me my records when I sent for discovery documents. They went back 50 something years and sent me off Ireland. So you have my records. You gotta have his enlistment records. And you gotta have, if he's alive and you don't know where he is, then you'll have discharge records. So they don't know about him dying. They can't. Pr that, so are you sure he died? <laughs> so the upshot of all this is that the Veterans Association wants new evidence that will prove it all happened the way Dad says it did. They're claiming to our absolute shock that they don't have it. Dad's at a loss about how to get this evidence and he wants me to help him, which of course I will. But the only issue is that we're all privately wondering if this man did actually die. We begin an online search and Dad gets stuck in despite his very basic computer skills. I typed in on the computer, US Army personnel uh, records. Okay, so we search and we search for days, but we're not coming up with anything. Lots of Howards, lots of branches, and actually a surprising number of Howard branches, but none who died on April 27th, 1959. And then, on the brink of despair, this happens. What does that say? Does that VFC, say? Company D. We got him. <laughs> Crazy Dick. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, again. Yeah, Where is he? It doesn't matter, bring that back down, see. Make the thing bigger. What is that? That's his gravestone. Yeah. That's his actual grave? Yeah. Howard Watson. Yeah, Company D, 2nd Infantry. We got him. <laughs> Nearly Uncle Sam. <laughs> what we'd found was Howard Branch's gravestone on a genealogy website. 
all the details matched. His army division, squadron number, date of death. So it turns out I was wrong. We all were. And Dad was right. Howard did die. And I feel bad now. I think we all do. My poor mum has lived with this longer than I have and is bound to have had her suspicions. Yeah, they must be been all laughing at me. Privately, I don't blame them. 60 years I think I was starting to doubt that they died. I figured you went to hospital, they went to another hospital because they were more seriously ill. But then they come out of hospital and they sent them home. Dad seems reinvigorated. I don't want to kill the buzz, but I asked him to reread the letter he received from the military a few weeks earlier. We do not have sufficient evidence to verify your stressor other than you were involved in a truck accident. We cannot confirm any casualties related to that event. In a nutshell, the US military are asking us to put the truck crash and the death together. All we've found is Howard's military grave. It confirms that Howard died on the day of the crash. But did he die in the crash? We go looking for proof. Something that puts the two events together. We turn our attention to searching local newspaper records around Howard's hometown of Mound City, Missouri. And then... Here we go. Oh, my God. Branch Wright Seth Friday. Read that. Branch, who was killed April the 27th. Branch graduated from Southern Illinois University in 1958. He was killed near Munich, Germany, when an army vehicle in which he was riding overturned. He graduated from Douglas Township High School. He leaves his mother, Mrs. Maggie Branch, an elementary school teacher at Mounds, brother London Branch, a senior music major at SIU. London Branch. Bingo. We now have a name for Howard's brother. London. But what are the chances of finding him alive or actually finding him at all? London Branch, are you out there? I go searching for London and Dad shows me what he has to send to the American military, including a screenshot from his mobile phone. Except it's a screenshot Dad style. He's actually made a photocopy of the screen of his phone. Look, it looks a bit weird, Dad, that you've got a photocopy of your actual phone. Mm. I mean, did you put the phone onto the photocopier? I laid the phone where all the writing was on onto the the photocopier, closed the lid, closed the lid. Took me 20 minutes before I got a a, a print that is legible. I don't blame you laughing, but that's a damn good print compared to the earlier ones. I leave him at it. But I keep going, this time on my own. And after another exhausting dig, I do find a woman called Davina, who I think just might be related in some way to London Branch, Howard's brother. I write to her via Facebook Messenger. Richard, and they were together at the time of Howard's death on an army truck in Bavarian Germany. I'm trying to contact any living relatives of Howard. I know a younger brother named London, but I'm not sure if he's still alive, so I think he'd be about... 80 now, like my father. If there's any way that you could put me in touch with London or any of his children, I would be most grateful. Uh, Yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't actually expect an answer, to be honest. So I can scarcely believe my eyes when a message from Davina Branch pops into my phone within 24 hours. Davina says she thinks we have the right guy. And guess what? He's still alive and living in Mississippi. He's a professor of music who's still lecturing at the age of 81. 
We agree that Dad and London should talk via Skype. And before we know it, just days before Christmas 2017, we're huddled around a computer screen on my parents' dining table and wondering, will the person about to pick up at the other end really be London Branch, the brother of the man that I felt I knew so well but never met and doubted the very existence of? There are connection problems and we wait and we wait and suddenly an image flashes up on the screen of the laptop. It's the face of an old, strikingly kind old black man with beautiful grey hair. Oh yeah. Oh look. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well I'm, I'm seeing you and hearing you loud and clear. Can you hear me, uh, London? Dr London? Okay. Do you know who I am? I do not. Okay. It might come as a bit of a shock and maybe a happy shock. I was uh, with Howard in the army, in the same company, on the same vehicle that the unfortunate accident occurred in way back in uh, 59, 27th of April. And possibly, more likely, probably, I was the last gentleman, seer, bereaved brother alive. And I'd just like to say it's an honour to meet you, his brother. And if I can't talk to Howard, well, you're, you're, you're fine with me. Well, it's interesting because mm. he's been present in this house for the last year. And I don't know what has brought that about, but his presence is always here. Well, I always feel him. Yeah. Yes, yes. You don't happen to have a photograph handy? I do have a photograph handy, oh. as a matter of fact. I'd love to see his face again. Oh, boy, let's see. <sighs> now, this is a picture of when he was in college, running track. Oh, he's more handsome than I remember. Yes, indeed. All the ladies considered him quite handy. Oh, I'm sure they did. You're damn right they did, and they, so they should, by the way. I wish I had his looks. I'm not too bad, but I'm not as handsome as Herod was. <laughs> we had a great report together. It's so strange to look at him after hearing oh, so much about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never. He's never out of my thoughts, you know. He's been in my thoughts for the last 58 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased to talk with you and pleased to know that you knew my brother and uh, and have uh, have thought about him all these years yes yeah i was born in 1936 so i'm i'm 2 years younger um uh, he and i were great friends in addition to being brothers he kept me probably from flunking out of college. The fellas would come by to get me to go to a party, and I'd be on my way out the door, and he'd grab me by the coattail. Nope, that's not what you're here for. I respected him enough to do what he said. He was two years ahead of me, and he had two years more experience. Yeah. And uh, if I had gone to the parties, I probably would have flunked out of school. When he was killed, I was in my I was in my senior year, mm -hmm. and uh, they notified me at school that uh, he had been killed, and I 
I went home. Uh, I was proud of the fact that, first of all, he was a great person. Uh, not just not just a great athlete, or yes, he was just a great person. Um, and he was honest, and he was somebody that uh, that I could look up to always. I don't know. Uh, I I lost a brother, but I also lost a great friend. So did I, Leonard. Yes, yes, absolutely. The warmth between these two 80-year-old men is almost tangible, but the details of the accident haven't been spoken about. I see how difficult this is for Dad, but he wades in. And um, are you aware of the um, what happened in, in the, the tragedy? Well, the only thing I know is what they told us. What did they tell you? They said that uh, that was a truck accident uh-huh. and uh, he was killed yep the truck turned over yes that's exactly what happened mm-hmm. okay i always was a little bit skeptical about that because mm-hmm. i couldn't get any more information yeah. i'd ask for more and they'd tell me the same thing they wrote back to me a couple of weeks ago yes mr tyner we recognize the fact that you were involved in a vehicle accident they didn't say a military one by the way but we could not discover any casualties that were involved in that accident. Oh, my goodness. Give me a break. Yeah. You know? Wow. <laughs> I guess the military has a way of covering up things that just doesn't want people to know. It seems peculiar that the military wouldn't have all of the documentation about every accident. They'd know everything about every person who was, uh, who was, ham- uh, who was hurt. I just, that's, uh, yes. that's peculiar. But Dad still hasn't spoken about the moment he made room for Howard. The moment he's carried with him so very long. I see him taking a deep breath and... Um, the vehicle was fully loaded by the uh-huh. time it came for Howard to mm-hmm. climb up onto it. And other vehicles were, um, other trucks were being arriving for take all the troops and our squad leader ordered um, really ordered Howard to get onto the truck which was obviously overloaded mm. I was sitting at the end of the truck as they say and um, I just made the guys move up there mm. and for the last 58 years and I suppose to be very honest I owned some guilt to myself saying had I not made room for Howard to get onto that vehicle, he, would he be still alive today? Mm. And that was one of the causes of my post-traumatic stress, guilt. Yes. can only use that word, guilt. And three times in the last two years, I broke down in psychiatric treatment, recalling that exact moment. Mm-hmm. Only half an hour before I speak to you, London, Yes. I cried my eyes out. Yes. So this, I, that's part of my reason to talk to you too to express my guilt mm-hmm. I know people say oh don't be ridiculous but true it's true had I not made room for Howard would he be alive would we be talking right now well we can we could speculate on that from now on you were carrying out an order yes from a superior officer 
Yes. So I think you were you were simply doing what you were supposed to do. Oh, I don't know what I can say here. I'm so relieved to talk to somebody. Yes. Connected to him biologically. Mm-hmm. And to say that, you know, well, he's here with me. Yes. And he's here with me. He's been, as I say, all the year, for some reason, his presence has been felt in this house. We wanted to introduce to our mother. Okay. Hi, London. Hi. It's lovely to meet you. I just feel very emotional. Mm. Because oh. Dick has talked so much about your brother. Yes. Yeah, and it just I just feel very emotional. Well, it's very emotional with me, too. Because is it? it uh, first of all, this is so unexpected. Can I have another tissue, please? Um, this was totally unexpected. And I'm so glad to know that somebody knew him and thought enough of him (laughs) to, after 58 years, set up this uh, this Skype meeting. Yeah. That's just wonderful. And I'm so happy to meet all of you. I lost a son, so I I do understand how you feel. When you lose somebody close to you, you never get over it. You never get over it. That's right. Yes. How did your mother cope afterwards? She had a devil of a time. I I knew he was her firstborn, Mm -hmm. and I knew that I was going to have to take over and do everything that needed to be done. And that's that's the way it was. It just devastated her. Did it? Yes. There's something amazing about connecting with with you. I've grown up with this story all my life. Yes. You know, it's always been a part of our of our of our history and dad's yes, history. Yes, it's always yes. been a big part. I'll be honest with you, we actually thought dad was almost imagining the death in a way because because uh-huh. the army was not acknowledging it. We needed to know he wasn't crazy, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> not <powered> me. <laughs> you know, the idea of, of somebody saying this didn't really happen and to know that there are other people mm. who knew this man that dad thought so highly of really, you know, have someone acknowledge that I think is mm. so important. Yes. Such a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, when you go to bed tonight and close your eyes, say, Dick says hi. I sure will. I sure will. Thank you so much. It's been a blessing. Talk to you later. Take care, London. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Here's a kiss from Ireland. Take care. All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That Skype call took place just before Christmas 2017. And for months afterwards, it was all Dad could talk about. He just couldn't believe that he'd reconnected with Howard through his brother London, 58 years after Howard's death. None of us could. The issue of compensation from the US Army for Dad's PTSD treatment was still not resolved, though. To be honest, it wasn't compensation Dad was ever looking for. It was an official acknowledgement that this event occurred, that Howard Branch died in a US Army accident, and that the trauma of that event still lives on in people today. After we made the Skype call to London, we kept up contact via email. London requested his brother Howard's records from the US Army, buoyed up by the fact that Dad got his. A few months after we spoke, we received an email from London, which contained a message he'd received from the military. The record needed to answer your inquiry is not in our files. 
If the record were here on July 12, 1973, it would have been in the area that suffered the most damage in the fire on that date and may have been destroyed. As winter progresses and we move into 2018, Dad continues to wait for an official response from the US Army on his PTSD claim. Four years have now passed since he first made contact. In March 2018, Dad gets fed up of waiting and we set out to email the White House. Okay, right. Okay, this is the question that I would, above all, like an answer to. Obviously, I would also like a decision to be made about my claim too. Could you please let me know if this decision is imminent as I am 81? And I'm keen to know before I, I shuffle off this mortal No, well. I'm talked up and facetious or sarcastic. <laughs> I want to think I'm a serious bastard. Another month passes. It's Easter Monday and we're in my parents for dinner. I decide to go out for a quick walk. And in that short time, my father's phone dings. He has an email. It's a very rare occasion that this happens, so he opens it up. When I return from my walk a few minutes later, there's chaos in the house. My father's shouting, it's better than sex. My mother and mother-in-law Marion are laughing hysterically and I've no idea what's going on. All I know is that my mother-in-law should not be witnessing this madness. Message from Department of Veteran Affairs about your appeals. Service connection for post-traumatic stress disorder is granted. This is unbelievable. Thanks to you. <laughs> oh my God. And that last letter we sent to your woman, Miss Woods? Yeah. That's what did it. In the White House. That's in there too. They kept dismissing and sending me So it turns out that the cheeky letter to the White House might just have done the trick. And Dad finally receives an official US Army acknowledgement and compensation to pay for his counselling sessions to deal with his PTSD. We are all elated at home. We can't believe it. Dad feels like he's been vindicated and I feel like he can finally get a bit of closure. It's 59 years since Howard Branch died. Dad's dear friend, right before his eyes. But now that the military has conceded, Dad feels he has an official recognition from the US Army that Howard has not been forgotten. The guilt that had Dad in its grasp for almost six decades has finally loosened its grip. It's time for us to let it go and let Howard rest in peace. And maybe Dad can get a bit of rest now too. Who? Me? I'm, I'm not talking to anyone, it's your gig. <laughs> You put your foot in the sticky mud now. 